1 Corinthians 12. You're thinking, wait a minute, before you started on about that other thing, he was talking about chapter 14. We'll get there. So we're going to start with chapter 12, because there's some principles here in chapter 12, and there's some things that are important in our own personal lives as we process and, and understand and embrace and, and take hold of the, of the uh, content and the principles within this portion of 1 Corinthians. We see in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so that is how it begins. That's how we kind of, you know, kind of transition from 11 chapters of exhortation and correction, um, addressing carnality within the church, elevating spirituality. We know the Corinthian church was much like the church in every generation in that there was a lot of secularism, a lot of carnality, if you would. Things from the world brought into the church because people were in the world and got saved, and now they go to church. And so all this has been brought in, as you know, as we've studied through. We've seen how there's this you know, exhortation and even specific instruction on how to live and love at a higher level. And so now as we go to this issue of gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. He didn't want the church there in Corinth to be uninformed or unaware of what God is doing. And, and in a sense, if you would, how he would do it. It goes on to say in verse 7 of chapter 12, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So we're not to be ignorant or uninformed. So he lists a few of the gifts, and he talks about the diversities and the importance and understanding the one spirit. God is the one that distributes and directs. But he says, you know, the, the making known, the bringing forth, the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I find this very important to catch these two verses each time you dig in or each time we look at the gifts of the spirit. Because we don't want to be uninformed, nor do we want to be self-promoting or self-seeking. The manifestation of the gifts is given for the profit of all. It's for the benefit of, of everyone. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. If we go from verse 7 over to verse 11, we have another insight or reminder. The one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, that's very important, right? And if we, if we just keep this in mind, that God distributes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, these, these tools, these empowerments, these expressions, he distributes them as he wills. So you think about how that has a, a it's a good framework as we seek and we desire to have the gifts, we got to recognize he distributes as he wills. The gifts of the Spirit are not meant to be a measure or a form of competition. So if you have this, you, that's a measure. There's some that have, have held to the teaching or the belief that if you, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not filled in the Spirit. Filled, being spilled, filled in the Spirit has to be verified, has to be manifested by your expressing this, this gift, the gift of tongues. Well, how does that work? If he distributes as he wills and he desires to give one the gift of tongues and not another, 
then how can man attach this, this verification process and say, well, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not filled in the Spirit. But he distributes as he wills. Do you see what I'm saying? We can't say, well, this is perception. It's like, this is how it has to be. And so he distributes as he wills. It, 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 it's the groundwork, if you would, to eliminate competition and comparison. You know, people, we, we compete and we compare more than we like to admit. We notice what somebody else is wearing, where they live, what they drive, what they do. And we inadvertently sometimes kind of either compete with that, or maybe we downplay that, or we compare. You see what I'm saying? And that's really not to be in the church. He distributes as he wills. So he decides, hey, this, this person, I'm going to pour this gift into them for the profit of all, as I will. I'll distribute, God would say. And so we should say, cool, that's awesome. That's great. Instead of like, I, I want that. Or, well, if you're spiritual enough, you may get that. Because he, he distributes as he wills. Looking on now to, to verse 28 of the same chapter, chapter 12, First Corinthians. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of, a miracle, of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, we, obviously you'd have to answer no. No, they don't all. Not everyone has that or does that. But he's saying that God has appointed. God has distributed. So we want to recognize that he distributes as he wills. We want to understand that the, the, it was they're giving, given for the profit of all. But we don't want to be complacent either and say, well, he'll distribute as he wills. He'll decide who gets what, and that's just how it's going to go down. Because verse 31 says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So with that, let's pray. God, as we would understand more and more, as Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us the importance of the gifts, the purpose of the gifts, to know really what, the, what they are and how they work, but that we would learn to just seek your will. We would desire to be empowered by you, that you would receive the glory, that we would not long for or hunger for something that would draw attention to ourselves, that we would earnestly desire the best gifts, the gifts that would be appropriate and perfect in this season of our lives individually, the gifts that would be best for this congregation and this gathering of people that would bring glory to your name, the best empowerments and gifts to declare the gospel and to reach those in our community and around us and throughout the world. And we earnestly desire, sincerely and genuinely long for what you have in store, that we, God, would be agents of yours that would speak truth, We'd be expressions of love in the world we live in. The people would know there's a good thing. There's something different. There's a power. There's a, there's a life. There's a hope. There's a love emanating from us and, and living within us. And so empower us, God, for your purposes and for your glory. 
You know, each one of us, Lord, even now, some of us wonder what our gifts are. We pray for clarity, Lord, as we would earnestly seek and desire to know the details and what, how those gifts are manifested in our lives. Give us humility. Lord God, may we seek to serve you and submit to you and be empowered by you that we could be your witnesses in this world and in the home and wherever we happen to be, God. And so even tonight, walk us through your word, God, teaching us all that you desire, all that we need to know and to live in these, this day and time. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, with that, we'll skip chapter 13. We've looked at it on Sundays. I skip it only for tonight because we are going to move on over to 14 and uh, begin there in verse 1. I'd like to work through um, verses 1 to 25 potentially tonight. Let's read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll go from there out of 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with the tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. As we work through this, you're going to see there's different uh, scenarios adrift and circumstances that are uh, pointed out and, and in the utilization of specifically tonight's study and con or text we'll be looking at tongues and prophecy but notice in verse one pursue love and desire spiritual gifts pursue love and desire spiritual gifts pursue and desire you can pursue something or you can desire spiritual gifts but not correct you can long for something you can want something you can desire something and just it's no different than just you just you just, it's a, a mental concept, right? If you don't do something like, oh man, I want to, I want to, I want to wash my car. It's dirty. It just, I need, it needs a bath. I really, I really got, I, I want to get the car, car washed. I got a suggestion. Go to the car wash. <laughs> do something, you know? I mean, there's some, there's an action attached to that desire. I, you can get out the water hose, but I would recommend it this time of year. So do you see what I'm saying? It says to desire and pursue. So it's desire gifts. It could, how would you pursue them? Well, you would pursue them through love. You would, to be able to fulfill my calling. My and calling is an invitation. It's literally what it's speaking of. So you have been invited by God to live in this season, in this time, in this moment, this point of your life, You've been invited to live closer to him and to walk closer with him. And so, as he's called you to that, invited you to that, you say, okay, well, how do I do this? You know, I, I want to learn your part and see that, but I also want to know my part. We'll pursue love. We know pursuing love, in one expression, one aspect, one mental you know, realization is to pursue God. 
for God is love. So we want to know him in a deeper way. We want to be closer to him. But we know also love is, is you know, more specific in the sense of practical expression among people. We know that from 1 Corinthians 13. We have a list of what it does not look like and what it does look like as we went through. So when we're realizing the need for gifts and we're understanding what they are more and more, pursue love and desire them. Desire the spiritual gifts. We shouldn't be afraid of the spiritual gifts. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Now he says, you know, pursue love, desire gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And here's why he says that. Because if you speak in a tongue, you know, you, you, you don't speak to men. So if someone speaks in a foreign language, it's kind of, to your ears, a tongue spoken of here would be a foreign language. You don't, from, from one person, as we'll look at it here in a little while in the book of Acts, you know, when someone speaks a dialect and not somebody else speaks a different dialect, if unless there's an interpretation, it's just, you don't understand what's being said. You just can't. So he says, you know, unless you speak, no one understands him unless, you know, there's an interpretation. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. And so he who prophesies, notice this, speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Prophecy edifies, exhorts, and comforts. Prophecy speaks God's word into a given situation or an event or a given situation. So you think about it that way. So here's the word of God being spoken into a specific or given situation. I believe the gift of prophecy is, is manifested and it's, and it's expressed in more ways than we realize. I believe it happens a lot. I've shared with you my own experience where uh, a relative had spoke about me being a pastor, even though that person was taught in the, in the, where they were, were attending the church, the, church, the, the gathering they were a part of, but the emphasis on the gifts of, were not for today. And so they, they respected their pastor. They respected the teaching. They just, okay, but they weren't really clear on it. Well, they said, uh, said of me, well, you're going to be a pastor one day. Somewhat flippantly, somewhat casually. You could say coincidentally, but I know differently. Because I know when she said it, I know when my Aunt Carolyn said that, she was in a very kind and very compassionate and very, um, you know, spiritually minded way, speaking to me words of encouragement. I didn't go, okay, uh, what do I do next? I just pondered it. I just kind of like, well, first I thought, oh, that's silly. You know, no, I don't think so. And then, well, you know, you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So she spoke a situation. She spoke comfort and, and edification. Prophecy edifies, encourages, and comforts. It speaks God's word into, any, into an event or situation. So when you read through this part, you see it's really, it's really straightforward. Can we agree? He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Someone speaks in a tongue and the, the general gathering has no idea what was said, then you're just going to go, that was weird, and you're, you're just, you don't understand what was said. But someone speaks a word of encouragement or exhortation, you're encouraged and you're built up. I, I, the reason I say that prophecy is so important, I believe it, it's, it's one of the most uh, utilized or expressed gifts in conversation and in, in our gatherings. People speak God's word into a situation in a casual conversation. Sometimes even just like, hey, you know, I was reading my Bible today. I have this app that walks me through certain texts on certain days. And you're just kind of sharing. 
But then you specifically talk about a, a verse, maybe Proverbs 3, for example. Man, I come across this one part in, in a conversation between two people. You share with that other person. Man, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Man, that really, really kind of woke me up this morning. It really kind of spoke to me. And so in the, in the analyzation of the conversation, it just seems a natural human conversation. But in the midst of it is this, this gift, this, this word of God to this other person who his heart is just like warmed because they realized they needed to trust in the Lord with all their heart and, not, and lean not on their own understanding. It, it's not prefaced by, thus saith the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, it doesn't have to have this like, you know, Old Testament prophet type of intro. It, it just, it's used so frequently, so commonly in the, in the messages on Sunday morning, wherever you're attending, where the word's brought forth in the conversation about the message later, in the sharing of what was spoke to one another. I love it because that's why it's so important. It brings God's word into a given situation or an event. And so prophecy is greater, we're told in verse 5. And it's that it's of greater benefit to church gatherings and our, our interaction, our what we call our fellowship, because it, it, it brings God's uh, Word comfort, it, it edifies, it exhorts, it even corrects. See, so the difference, I think, one distinctive, I think, to see and realize, prophecy addresses God's word to people. The gift of tongues are an expression addressed to God, where the individual is declaring to God, versus prophecy is bringing God's word to people. You know, prophecy, God's word to people, tongues is generally God's people speaking to God. Let's consider an example. We want to go through it. Uh, Let's go over to Acts chapter 2. Now we know in Acts chapter 2, we're beginning there in verse 1, and they have gathered together. We're told out of chapter 1, they have gathered together because they were told to wait for the undoing or the empowering of the Father so that you can be my witnesses. So we know they're gathered there uh, in in one accord. In the upper room, there was 120, but gathered there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a Russian mighty wind, and it filled the whole house while they were sitting. Then it appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So as they're seeking God, as they're petitioning God, as they're you know, praying in the Spirit, God brings this amazing experience upon them where it was like tongues of fire, like each person was experiencing this empowering, this amazing work of God in their lives. He taught them or enabled them to speak with other dialects, other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what I think is interesting is, you know, as this is happening, there's people around. So imagine what's taking place. Uh, They're speaking in tongues, in tongues being uh, declaring or directing to God this conversation, if you would, this this expression. As we read along in verse 5, we see there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, 
because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and uh, the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So what I find interesting here is the people that had gathered heard this expression. I believe it was a, a form of worship to God. And you look at the content of, the con- of what's being said, what's being lifted up, what's being heard in the, in the city, the wonderful works of God. They were declaring the wonderful works of God. They weren't saying to the people from you know, um, Rome or Phrygia or Cappadocia, thus saith the Lord to you. They were declaring to God the wonderful works of God. And these people hear it in their own dialect. And they're confused. Like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Those guys, they're not, they're not from around here. They're not from our region. They're Galileans. And yet they're speaking words that I know. And it's beautiful because the disciples, you know, those who were speaking, they weren't overtaken by the Holy Spirit. They weren't, you know, it wasn't contrary to their will. They were, they were actually just, in, they were in one place in one accord and they're praying. God, however you desire, whatever you, whatever in your plan, because, you know, we get to look back through the window of church history 2,000 years, and we can pick up pieces and sections and sorts and, and hear about lives that were changed, and we can even read these accounts. We can read the latter part of action up all the way in reverse till we come to this first church, this first gathering, these first times. So we have an interesting window to look through, agreed? We have a lot of history and a lot of comparison. They have the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. And now they're going, okay, what's next? <laughs> so they're really like, okay, God, here we go. I don't, we don't even know what you're going to do. I believe they were afraid. They had plenty of reason to be. They'd seen death among them already. I believe there was a lot of other challenges upon them, but also I think there was great faith. They're saying, okay, what, what are you going to do? And God empowered them. And I, I have to wonder how it was as they're speaking in a, in a prayer language, but they're being heard. They're, they don't know that their prayer language, per se, was the language of, of, of another people. But they're just praying. And then these people hear it. So it's really fascinating how, how God brought this all about. And I like where you see what happened. They, 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 they spoke the wonderful works of God and picking up there in verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So prompted right then by the work of the Holy Spirit among his, his children, the, the, the followers of Jesus Christ, the apostles, the disciples, those who have gathered, people are responding to their lives saying, what, what's going on here? What could this mean? They're very curious because they're going to say another question later. I'll just jump over to it. We're going to work our way over to it. But it says, men and brethren, what should we do? 
So there's a point where they're, they're curious. This wonderful works of God were made known to them in their own language. They understood it. And they're like, wow. And then they're going to hear the message that Peter will bring forth. And they will be cut to the heart. They will be con- deeply convicted. They'll be prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive the gift of life through Jesus Christ. And they will respond as we know the rest of the story. So we see here as they um, continue on with this particular story. They were amazed and saying to one another, what could this mean? And anytime there's amazement, there's always mockery. Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. They're drunk. You know, the guy started late last night. They carried on into the morning. I heard them. They were praying and singing songs. I'm probably sipping the suds. I don't know what they're doing. Others are going to mock them. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. But this was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here we have this great work of God, this um, historical event where in the church was the first time this gift of tongues God used to edify the believers and to um, awaken non-believers, which we're going to go through chapter 14 and we'll see how that gift is utilized in in other ways. But let's look over in verse 37 because Peter will share this message. We looked at the first portion of it. He will share in that too is the gift of prophecy, is the gift that God empowered Peter to share. Peter, we know, he's just trying to walk with the Lord. He's trying to walk with sensitivity to the Spirit. He's trying to figure out how to live this new life. I believe he's excited about it and maybe even a little scared at times. But it, we see in verse 37, their response, when they heard this, they, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So here we have, as you journey back with me to 1 Corinthians 14, we have this beautiful example of the, of the gift of tongues being utilized, being expressed. Now we're going to continue in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's pick up in verse 6. So we have this one example historically from Scripture that we're looking at. There's others we could look at. 
And so now we'll, let's consider the instruction. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So he's saying, how can, if I speak something you can't comprehend, how does that benefit you? Because as he says here, you know, unless we, I, there's revelation or knowledge um, or prophesying, and how are you going to learn anything? What do we see, just out of curiosity, what did we see back in chapter 2 of Acts? We've seen revelation. We've seen the, the wonderful works of God declared. We've seen prophecy coming through Peter, as he would speak. And so we see these other gifts manifested. But if it was just tongues, it would leave people confused. And he takes a really practical like, explanation. Look at verse 7. Even things without life, whether fl flute or harp, when they make a sound... Unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an unknown or uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You don't know what, if it's just a, a, a noise and it's not like to where it's supposed to be for reveille or for, you know, calling of the battalion or whatever it may be, it has to make a distinct sound. It's really simple. If a flute is just making noises or a harp, you don't go, well, that's beautiful. You go, what is with that thing? It just, there's just no sense to it. He goes on to say in verse 9, So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without meaning or without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So as he's kind of walking them through it, really it's just real practical. The gifts of the Spirit have a purpose. And in this situation that he's talking about, he's saying, you know, how could anybody understand this? You know, one guy is trained in French, and another person grows up learning English, and the guy that knows French speaks to the English, and the English to the French, and they use their native tongue, and you're going, all right, whatever, catch you later. You know, I, I love to hear people pray in another language. Um, uh, Hugh Thoreau, um, some of you know Hugh, they're actually, uh, Hugh and Val are currently up in Canada in, in a church start, but he is a French-Canadian, speaks English, and he came to our men's group, and in one of the times that our one of our men's studies, I had him close in prayer in French. Now, I couldn't say amen, because I had no clue what he said, <laughs> but listening to him speak in French was really fascinating, because it was easy to, to track with him, because I knew his heart. I didn't know what he was saying. And what you see what's being said here? If you're talking in a language that people can't understand, how can you call it more spiritual? How can, what, what's the benefit to it? Why would, you, why would you do that? A foreigner wouldn't even understand. Verse 12, Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. I, I'm not sure why. Uh, I pondered a few things, but they're in, inconclusive in my logic currently. But I'm not sure why the gift of tongues is the one that is a measure. It seems to be the one that if you speak in a certain way, 
you appear to many people to be more spiritual or more surrendered to the spirit or less encumbered by the intellect, less held back. And I, I've never understood it. I, I do believe that you can, you can train someone to speak in tongues. You can, you can learn how to verbalize um, in a manner that appears spiritual. I had a guy tell me one time, you just, you just, you know, he was he was mocking it, but he was kind of making a really good point. Like your mama got a Honda, your mama got a Honda, your mama got a Honda. You know, you just say something, and you kind of get where it's just, and it it really, you do, I don't know why, but I don't know how you are, but it, even when I've been around that, I'm like, interesting. I don't know if it's legit or not, but then when I look at the con, the the parameters for it to be expressed, I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. That just left everybody thinking that person's more spiritual. But notice what we're reading here in verse 12. For the edification of the church that you seek to excel. For the edification of the body, the building up of the body of Christ. And so he says in verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. It's hard to say amen, which means so be it, when you don't know what he's at. It just would, you know, it just would be a religious... A practice. You just in something and say amen. Oh, amen. Now, I like what he's, you know, as you look at this and you kind of think the practical side, I like what's being said where he, you know, he says, you know, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. And it speaks of, if I, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. So there is, there's two elements or aspects to um, the gift of tongues that I think are very important. And when I say that, I, I think of just, you know, there's two things we, we want to be aware of. There is, in one sense, the um, personal expression, and then there's the public expression. I think of it more as the personal experience and the public expression. We know both have a place, but for myself, when I look at this text, and we'll see it as we work through this today and then uh, Sunday, working through the latter half of this chapter, there's a very important place for personal experience in regards to the gift of tongues. Because the gift of tongues is a language, if you would. It's a, a means by communicating with God where you're, you're not as, as encumbered or hindered or restricted by your reasoning. In other words, it's not outside your reasoning but it's passing through without being stopped. Um, like, I speak in tongues, but it's my personal experience. It's my personal expression. I could ask you, but I know the answer. How many of you have heard me speak in tongues? And, well, one, <laughs> probably, but Kim. But I just, it's, I, God has given it to me as a, as, a, as a type of prayer language between him and I. And it's one where when I'm speaking in tongues, I can just, I, it's, a, it's a hard to explain it, but it's a situation where I can speak in this language and it's like, it's just right to God, right direct. And there's times he even gives me interpretation of that. And it's most always 
in the sink, in my experience, it doesn't mean that's the fence work or the parameters or restrictions, but in my experience, it's consistently with what we see in there in Acts 2. It's declaring the marvelous works of God. It usually comes when things are real heavy and I can't really find a handle on things and, and there's just no answer and just the, 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 the needs within the church. And, and as Paul said, you know, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. And, and he had that. I experienced where there's a deep concern. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, sometimes you just, you just pray. And I find myself just praying and, and, and it's praying in this, this different expression, the dialect, language. And, and I just, I, I want to encourage you if you, do, if you don't speak in tongues, then just ask the Lord, if, is that something that would edify, would build up? And then go ahead and seek that. He says to desire that. But remember, it's, it's, I, I take the time right now to mention it here at verse 12, it's because it's for the edification of the church. So some of the things we'll look at later in this chapter are dealing with personal experience and public expression. So if it's a public expression, but it leaves everyone with confusion, it should have been withheld. It should have been just kept at home or however it may be. So let's move along here. I want to get a little bit further before we call it a night. Um, see, as we see in verse uh, 16, we already looked at that one. Let's go to verse 17. For you indeed give thanks well, but the others not edified, speaking of there's no comprehension or, or interpretation. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, that's not boasting, that's not bragging. It's in the context. I, I'm, I'm glad, maybe a little bit like what I was mentioning. I'm glad to speak in tongues. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's using this to express the, the, the importance of, of bringing edification and encouragement and comfort, which would come through prophecy and wisdom and knowledge um, rather than the gift of tongues which would be left uninterpreted. Verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. I love that. He's basically saying, listen, um, seek to understand this. Don't just say, well, I guess you just don't know. You just don't know. Don't be children in in understanding of this topic, of this area. It's interesting, he says, however, in malice, be babes. What is malice? Malice is the intent to do harm. So when someone's malicious, they're not just contrary, they intend to do harm. And so it's interesting here because we want to make sure that we're not using this gift. In the context here, it seems to be, you know, don't be given over, intend to do harm with this, but really probably in generally speaking, just be ignorant in regards to malice. It's good that you don't know how to be mean. You know what I'm saying? Some people speak of others, oh, they're pretty naive about the ways of the world. Yeah, they just don't understand malice very well. The Bible says that's okay. You don't have to figure out how to do harm. It's good to be uh, lacking understanding in regards to malice. Be babes. But in understanding in regards to the gifts, be mature. In the law is written, and I was speaking of Isaiah here that is being quoted, I believe, chapter 28. With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me. Isaiah was the instrument God brought forth a few different times. Speaking of how the word would go to people, 
and the people would turn away from it. It wasn't the goal of the word, but it was the result. You know, people, the goal was to bring people to the Lord, to give them insight, to give them understanding, prophetic declaration about the historical realities and things that were happening in the Old Testament. We're meant to draw people to God. But many times people just closed their ears. They didn't want to hear. So they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Wait a minute, make up your mind. Because doesn't it seem to start getting contradictory? Doesn't it seem at one point he's saying it's for the believers, and then he says it's for the non-believers? Because it is. See, I think sometimes we miss there's different ways that, and situations that it would be important. We know that there was non-believers in Acts chapter 2, agreed? In Acts chapter 2, the wonderful works of declare, were declared, the wonderful works of God, through a gift and enabling a tool and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in believers to reach non-believers in their own dialect in that situation. Some have said it has to be in accordance with a, a, a written or known dialect, and I believe that's inaccurate. But that was the case in Acts chapter 2. It did take place that way. But so in some situations, unbelievers, it says, you know, it says, you know, though tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but for unbelievers. So in that case, they understood. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So prophesying in many expressions is for those who value the word of God, who would seek the word of God. Like he was already quoted in verse 21, some didn't hear it. And so in our, our times, you know, there'll be some, some that, you know, those who know the Lord or indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're told that in, in John that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would bring to, the, to remembrance the things that, that God had said, that, that Jesus had taught, if you would. And so the Holy Spirit can bring to remembrance to a believer, the Holy Spirit can bring to a believer, in, and I believe in a greater point of reception, can bring the word of God, can bring through prophecy, the word declared in that situation. Now, let's go to verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbeliever, will they not say that you're out of your mind? So now he says that, but tongues are not for the unbelievers, but in verse 22, he said it was for the unbelievers. But see, we don't want to be so, like, um, dogmatic that we miss it. In one situation, the gift of tongues will reach an unbeliever. But in another situation, an unbeliever will come in and think you're crazy. You're all a bunch of lunatics. You're all sitting around talking like toddler talk, like little goo-goo gaga sound and stuff, and I'm out of here. I mean, just think about it. It's not hard to imagine that scenario. A visitor walks into a a public gathering that's an open invite. We have um, some meetings we call believers meetings. Because they're predominantly believers. We don't restrict it to that. But generally speaking, they're more believers. And what I have in my mind is more of a believers meeting. Then there may be different expressions of the Spirit. There may be different things that would be taking place. But if I know, it's like, okay, I know Sunday morning, there's going to be people that do not know the Lord. There's going to be people that have come in and they're just trying to figure out what this whole, is there a God? What is church about? Where's my life going? And so if everybody just stood up at different times and was just kind of carrying on, it's like chaos. And what do they do? They're looking, how many exits do we have? Because they need one close. They're looking to leave. 
because it's just it's just disorderly. So there's one situation where someone would respond well. There's another situation where where others are like, yeah, I don't this. I'm out of here. If all prophesy, I'm on verse 24. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So in tongues, there can be some, there's a different understanding, comprehension, processing. We know that in different ways. But notice what he says about um, prophecy. When the word of God is spoken to a given situation, then the the response of the people is once again like what we've seen back there in Acts chapter 2, correct? That was a people that were gathered in Jerusalem, so they were somewhat, we could say, spiritually minded. They were, most of them, some of them were businessmen, but most of them were considering and responding to the proposed requirements of Judaism to be at the feast. And so when they're in Jerusalem and all this is unfolding, they're like, wow, there's amazing, these, these amazing works of God. And then they ask, well, what must, you know, after the message is shared, they ask, what must, must, must we be do? What must we do? And we know that, you know, 3,000 come to Christ at the end of that particular message. And so we can see from that example the benefit. They fall down and they worship God. An expression of that uh, truth happens at times, like, say, for example, I, I teach on some, teaching on Sundays, and I meet people in the patio, and, and, the, and someone will say to me, man, you know, I've never been here before. Everything you said, everything you said just cut right to the heart. That's just what I'm going through. And i like, I don't know you, I, but God does. I have no clue. What, I didn't know you'd be here. You didn't know I'd be here. You didn't know. You didn't, but this is what's happening in your life right now. God is actually speaking to you. And you have it. You invite friends, and, and they say to you, like, man, that was just a hit right where I was at. Or those worship songs, all three of those songs, just they were just such a relief, such an expression. Because you, you get to hear then that this is the, the word of God coming to people. And, and, the, and then they, they fall down and they worship God. And, and then they say, God truly is among you. When people say, when you meet with them or uh, you know, you're, you're engaging with someone in the workplace and you're able to talk to them and they go, man, what you're saying, you could have not known how important it is to me. You, there's no way you would know this. And you can say, you're right. There's no way I could know it. But God does. And it's not your delivery. It's not your devotion. It's not that you bought lunch that day. It's because God empowered you to bring his word to them, through you to them. And you don't even, you don't even go looking for the credit. You drive away going, oh, how do I do that again? But you realize you don't even know what you're doing in the first place. So it's hard to do it again. Instead, you got, man, God, that is so awesome. So amazing. And you think about what was happening in Acts chapter 2 when they're declaring the wonderful works of God. I don't, like I said, I don't know that they understood what they're saying by way of their ears. I believe they knew in their heart. But yet people were impacted. So, for those of you who you know, were wired so often, many of us, I am. Okay, I want to, so tongues is for this, and prophecy is for this, and tongues can be used here, but not here, and then this, you, scrap it. 
Scrap that whole way of thinking. It's too categorical. It's too restrictive. You're telling God this is this is this how it's done. Well, wh- how, how which way is acceptable? Does it edify people? Does it bring glory to God? Is it done in love? Is it for the building up of the body of Christ, or is it for you to to be known as more spiritual? Which is it? When it's it's when it is for literally God to be glorified and and you can walk away and I and I love this I I can say this very candidly because I know most all of you you know what I'm talking about I love it when I have people say on the patio man that was such a good message that really got spoke to my heart I'm like that's awesome that's awesome because God is the only one that knows what what you're what what you're going through I have no idea I love to hear it and then direct them to walk away. To spend Sunday evening with the Lord and, and not thinking about me as a messenger. I just, I don't wear the right clothing, but I should just wear a UPS suit. I'm just going to deliver a message and I'm going to go. When, you, when the UPS guy shows up, you don't say, oh, thank you for the package. Can we go to dinner? You just try to be polite to him and hope he leaves quick. Because you got this. And that's the whole thing about delivering the message, about being agents of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to just deliver it and just watch what God will do. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace, for your love. And these things, Lord, we want to know more. We want to be informed and aware in regards to what you would do in and through our lives. We believe that you will do healing. We've seen it done. We believe you do restoration. We, we've seen it happen. We believe you touch hearts and save souls, and we rejoice in that. And so, God, we want to just know you more and, and have you reveal to us individually in this season, in this time, what our part is as you do what you do, that we would know how to utilize the gifts in a way that you get the glory, that we could almost covertly Bring forth your power and truth in such a way that people long for more of you and less of us. And so, God, we thank you, Lord. We praise you so much. We take hold of your word even in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, thank you, God. Teach us these things. In your beautiful name. Amen.